Greetings to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Sunday School Podcast for January 14th, 2024, the second Sunday after the Epiphany of our Lord. And as we continue to follow the CPH textbook 120 Bible Stories, today we're on page 40 of that textbook. This is the story of Joseph in Egypt. And this story is a summary of Genesis chapters 39 through 41. Now, if you remember last time, Joseph was sent to see how his brothers were doing. And we talked about last time how, for all sorts of reasons, his brothers didn't care for Joseph very much. So that at first they plotted to kill him. But later on, merely faked his death and sold him into slavery. And that's where this story picks up. The, uh, the brothers have faked Joseph's death by soaking his coat of many colors or his special coat in blood and showing it to their father so that his father thinks that his favorite son has been killed by a wild beast. And now the story switches from Canaan to Egypt where Joseph is sold as a slave. So we're going to take a look at the story in Genesis 39 through 41. It's quite a bit of biblical text, so we'll, um, we'll read some parts word for word, summarize the rest, and talk about the big points for a Sunday school lesson along the way. So starting at chapter 39, verse 1, we read, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt... And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. So in Potiphar's house, we have sort of a a foreshadowing of what will happen for all of Egypt and really the known world when Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dreams. But we also have here a little bit of an insight about Joseph himself He's not just the spoiled kid in daddy's favorite. He does have good character about him. Even though he's been betrayed by his brothers and sold into slavery and shipped to a foreign country, he makes the best of being a slave to the point where he is elevated as overseer over Potiphar's entire household. Remember, Joseph is a type of Christ, 
And so we should be looking for uh, how Joseph is a blessing to others. Well, with the second half of verse 6, it continues, Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time his wife's master cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. So, Joseph is a handsome young man. Potiphar's wife attempts to seduce him. And Joseph refuses because it would be sin. He doesn't want to sin against Potiphar, and especially he doesn't want to sin against God. And so Joseph resists the wife's advances. In verse 11, we read, But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home, and she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came into me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. So Joseph ends in prison once again because of the sins of others. He's sold as a slave to Potiphar's household because his brothers betrayed him. And now he's thrown in prison because Potiphar's wife falsely accuses him of sexual assault. And there in prison, the Lord is with him and becomes like, the prisoner in charge of the prisoners and the prison, he's running things really on behalf 
of the keeper of the prison. It's rather ironic that this prison is described as the place where the king's prisoners are confined. And in a couple of verses in Genesis chapter 40, we find out that that prison where the prisoners of the king are confined is, uh, is the prison that is run um, by the captain of the guard. And we learned already in Genesis chapter 39 that Potiphar is the captain of the guard. Is there more than one captain of the guard? Or is Potiphar, in fact, in charge of the prison where Joseph is serving his time? At any rate, once again, Joseph is, is cast into a very low place. And uh, because the Lord is with him, he becomes a blessing even to prisoners in prison. As Genesis 40 picks up, we read, Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. So, these officers of Pharaoh are thrown in prison, and they're prisoners, but they're still officers currently disfavored by Pharaoh. But um, they're placed in the custody, not just of the prison, but under the care of Joseph himself. Now, all of this is the Lord's work behind the scenes because both the cupbearer and the chief baker have dreams, and they have no idea what they mean, except that Joseph is able to interpret their dreams for them. He tells the cupbearer that in a short amount of time, Pharaoh will restore him to his position in his court, and the cupbearer will continue with his life. He tells the baker that at the same time, in three days' time, he will be put to death by Pharaoh for his, for his crimes. On the third day, happens to be Pharaoh's birthday, Pharaoh restores the chief cupbearer to his position, and he's back to handing the cup to Pharaoh. However, Pharaoh hangs the chief baker just as Joseph had interpreted his dream to say. Then in Genesis chapter 41, Pharaoh himself starts to have dreams. Dreams of seven plump cattle followed by seven very skinny cattle. And then um, seven ripe ears of corn or grain rather followed by seven thin and blighted ears of grain. He has these dreams and nobody can tell him what they mean. But finally, the cupbearer remembers Joseph. He'd promised to remember him, but, but has forgotten since. So he tells Pharaoh about Joseph who interprets dreams in prison. And Pharaoh summons Joseph to his court, tells him the dream. And Joseph tells Pharaoh the meaning of the dream, namely, 
that a famine will come upon Egypt. First, there will be seven years of plenty, exceptional harvests, and Pharaoh should make sure that all the surplus grain is stored up in preparation for the years of famine, because after the seven years of plenty will have will come those seven years of famine. So Joseph interprets the dream that the famine is coming, but first years of plenty to save up food. So starting at Genesis 41, verse 37, we read, This proposal to store up grain pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaphnath paneah and he gave him in marriage Azanath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. So, Because, as even Pharaoh says, the Spirit of God is with Joseph. Joseph is now the second in command of all of Egypt. And he is entrusted with the task of storing up grain. He's entrusted with saving the lives of the known world. We read then in verse 46, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly, and he gathered up all the food of these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and put food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Azanath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, 
The people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to all the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe all over the earth. So as the second in command of Egypt... Joseph stores up the food, the grain, for bread for the known world, for all the earth, because the famine is so severe. In the meantime, he marries. He has two boys, Ephraim and Manasseh. He's renamed Zaphonath Paneah. We'll stick with Joseph. But now the scene is set, because if there's famine in all the land or all the, all the known world, then sooner or later Jacob's going to have to send Joseph's brothers down to Egypt to get food. That's a story coming up. But in the meantime, that's the story of Joseph in Egypt until he becomes um, Pharaoh's right-hand man. So with this story in mind then, the question is, how does the story point to Christ? First off, Joseph is a type of Christ in that three times in this story, Joseph is made second in command and given all authority over his superior's estate. And this certainly reflects Jesus, who sits at the right hand of God, through whom we come to the Father. As Joseph was second in command, taking care of his master's things, so Jesus rules over all things except, says 1 Corinthians 15, God the Father, and Jesus puts himself in subjection to his Father. So as Jesus is in subjection to his Father, three times in this story, Joseph is second in command in subjection only to the ruler of the house, then the ruler of the prison, and then the ruler of all Egypt. Second, as God blessed the house of Potiphar because of Joseph's presence, so he blesses us because of Jesus' presence in the means of grace. Likewise, that goes for the prison and all of Egypt because Joseph is there. The place is blessed. He's a type of Christ because Christ is present with us in his means of grace. So we are blessed by the presence of Jesus. Third, small note, Joseph is 30 years old when he enters the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Jesus begins his public ministry right there at the age of 30. And both are given the tasks in different ways of saving the world, so to speak. On his way to saving the world, Joseph is again falsely accused of wickedness. Wickedness he has not committed because he refuses to sin against God, but the false accusation has led to his imprisonment. 
Jesus is falsely accused of all sorts of wickedness, and that leads to his crucifixion. While Joseph is in prison, he speaks with two men, the cupbearer and the baker. The cupbearer, of course, is pardoned, and the other is condemned. Now, this may seem like a little bit of a stretch, but when Jesus is crucified, he is with two men, namely two robbers. One of them is pardoned. As the cupbearer is restored to the court of Pharaoh, Jesus says to the penitent robber, Today you will be with me in paradise. Just like as the second prisoner of Joseph's, the baker, is condemned, the other robber who does not repent remains condemned as well. Now this next one might seem a bit of a stretch. First off, it's a little bit interesting that um, the two prisoners of Joseph are the cupbearer and the baker. So you have a wine and bread thing going on here, and I'm honestly not quite sure what to do with that. But the cupbearer and the baker remind me actually of the two goats in Leviticus 16. In Leviticus 16, you have this ritual where where two goats are selected and the high priest confesses the sins of the one, or I'm sorry, he confesses the sins of the nation upon the one goat, and that goat is taken away into the... uh, into the wilderness and set free, never seen again. And that's the scapegoat. He, uh, he bears the guilt of the nation and he takes it away so they don't suffer for it. The other goat then is less fortunate. He's sacrificed on the spot. Now here we have the cupbearer, the wine guy, and the baker, the bread guy. And certainly they foreshadow the two thieves. I wonder if there's something here too, though, in that um, one of them is spared and returns to Pharaoh's court. And the other is hanged, presumably then, on gallows. Perhaps he's impaled on a stake. It could mean that as well. The point being that in Leviticus 16... Both of those goats pointed to Jesus. Jesus, who bears all of our sins away like the scapegoats that were not held accountable for them anymore. And Jesus, who is sacrificed like the other goat, his blood shed for our redemption. Here, you have the cupbearer who's restored to Pharaoh's court and the baker who is hanged on a tree. And Deuteronomy 21 verse 23 declares, Cursed is anyone who is hanged on a tree. And Galatians 3 says that points to Jesus who is hanged on a tree on a cross for our salvation. So, and I got to admit, this is a little bit thin. Do the cupbearer and the baker point to Jesus themselves in that he is hanged on a tree like the baker is restored to the ruler's court by rising again and ascending into heaven. 
something to think about anyways. I'm not sure if I'm sold on that myself. Finally, we have that, that verse there in Genesis 41, 38 and 39, where Pharaoh announces that God has given Joseph his spirit. And thus Joseph is set apart to deliver the people from death in the upcoming famine. So the ruler declares that his second command has the Holy Spirit. And that kind of looks like Jesus' baptism, where God the Father Almighty declares Jesus to be his beloved son, and thus kind of the second in command, and also gives to him his Holy Spirit when he's baptized in the Jordan. Joseph declared Pharaoh's right-hand man with the Holy Spirit, now goes on to save the known world. Jesus, declared by God the Father to be his beloved son, and bearing the Holy Spirit, starts to make his way to the cross to die for the world. So, really, a... uh, a fascinating bunch of types of Christ within this story of Joseph interpreting dreams, of suffering, yet being blessed. In fact, we note as well that he names his second son Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. And certainly while Jesus is afflicted in this world because of uh, his incarnation and death for us, he is fruitful, for we are, uh, we are the fruit of his labors as his redeemed and forgiven people. Good stuff. That's a quick look at Genesis 39 through 41. God grants you every good gift as you meditate upon this text further. God grants you every blessing if you're teaching it to others. And until we speak again, the Lord order your days and your deeds in his peace. Amen.